Welcome to the future of education. And now, here's your host, Michael Horn. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the future of education. I'm Michael Horn, and today's guest, Barry Malkin, uh, has had a fascinating career at a fascinating perch right now at a company that I got to know very early on in my introduction to the world of education technology, which is Carnegie Learning. We're going to hear a significant update, I think, about what they're up to and as well as, frankly, some perspective on some of the burning questions that educators are really asking right now around the rise of AI and more, but all in this bigger question because we're obsessed with helping all individuals build their passions and fulfill their human potential. And that's something that Carnegie Learning is obsessed with as well. And so, Barry, first, it's great to see you. Thank you for doing this. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, you bet. So let's start with that, like just your own background, right, into your current role leading Carnegie Learning and your own journey. Uh, I, I suspect when you started out, that's not something you would have necessarily guessed that, that this is where you'd be at the moment. No, probably not, although I have enjoyed every moment of it. I've been here for seven years now, and I'm having a ton of fun. We're making huge progress and having a huge impact on on students across the country, so I couldn't be more thrilled with what I'm doing. I have had, a, I guess, a, an interesting uh, pathway to where I am today. So I, I started as an investment banker in New York many, many moons ago, focusing on mergers and acquisitions and uh, um, covering uh, a variety of industries at the time. And um, so I was in New York for a while. I'm from the Midwest originally. I'm from Milwaukee and uh, a Midwesterner at heart and decided to finally move back to the Midwest and uh, brought my uh, fiance or wife at the time to Chicago with me, uh, who is a New Yorker. So that was a, a bit of a tough sell, but I was able to, I was able to convince her. And um, I, I got a job working for Deborah Quazzo and Michael Moe, actually. That was my first job uh, in education. Um, I was working with them for them at uh, at Merrill Lynch in Chicago, and they were building a uh, an amazing business services and educational services practice at the time. And I just fell in love with education. I fell in love with the people. I fell in love with the mission, the entrepreneurialism. It was just it just felt right for me, and I kept rolling with it. So I stayed I stayed in investment banking for a while. With Deborah and Michael, went to a uh, another firm where I, I also stayed for a while, and was advising companies all over the world on capital raising and mergers and acquisitions in education across the across the spectrum. I, I made a, a job transition at that time, and I went to what they call the buy side, where I worked for a uh, a public company, Career Education Corporation, um, in their mergers and acquisitions group. And again, working, uh, working all across the world, looking for higher education institutions to, to purchase at the time. So, uh, uh, you know, that, that was a transition from advisor to, uh, to principal, and I really, really enjoyed it. I went, uh, to make a long story short, I ended up at Apollo Education Group, where I was the global head of mergers and acquisitions there and uh, uh, worked on acquiring educational technology companies and higher education institutions and uh, even building some product there and, uh, and, and doing some strategy work as well. It was a, it was a lot of fun. I was there for about six years. Uh, one of the acquisitions I did at, uh, uh, at Apollo was Carnegie Learning. So in 2011, we had a real challenge at the University of Phoenix, which was the, the largest business within, within the Apollo Education Group. And that was we were having persistence problems with students uh, getting through basic math education courses. And we, we needed a solution. We were using um, products by, uh, by a number of third parties, and it just wasn't 
satisfying the requirements and we were losing too many students too early in their in their post ed, you know post secondary education uh, journey so we we went around we looked for solutions and we came across Carnegie Learning we were fascinated by the work that they were doing the research that backed the product the AI and its capabilities and we ended up uh, acquiring the company in 2011 again to make a long story short um, the the post secondary industry uh, had had lots of challenges and uh, the integration of Carnegie Learning into into Phoenix didn't quite happen in the way um, we all envisioned it because of lots of distractions and changes in in that landscape. But um, but the idea was to obviously improve the outcomes in 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 math, but also to leverage the AI across different uh, subjects and uh, and classes throughout the university. So that was the uh, that was the rationale. It was a good thesis, a really good thesis, and a great little business. In 2015, so I had uh, left Apollo and I had been gone for about a year. I was doing some advisory work, some personal investing, uh, and trying to figure out my next uh, my next gig when Carnegie Learning um, was for sale. So they decided to divest the business when they were taking it private, and I put together a small group and uh, we bought the business from from Apollo. And uh, it's uh, it's been seven years now, and we've completely transformed the organization. I, I just always thought it was a sleeper. I thought it had, you know, the, the great bones, amazing people, great technology. The pedagogy was amazing. And uh, I naively felt that I could do something with it. Well, and you haven't been wrong. So, I mean, that's, that's your history, right? And coming into it, the history of Carnegie Learning, I think, is also fascinating because, I you know, people may know, I, maybe they don't, but if they don't, it was initially a math-only solution. And if I recall, really an algebra-only solution developed out of Carnegie Mellon. It was built with AI, as you said. It's really, I think it's fair to say, and we'll get into this later, like the first ed tech product with artificial intelligence uh, in it that I'm aware of anyway. And a rigorous curriculum, rigorous backbone, a lot of research behind it. It also had a very, at the time, sort of a specific, shall we say, classroom model. It was a little arcane. Um, in its early days, but you all have evolved a ton. You have even more research. Like you're one of the few folks that has a federal government research study behind it showing positive and significant uh, effects on student learning. But what are you all today? Like it, it's, it's much broader than math. Uh, if I, if, if I look at the website. <laughs> yeah, it, it is broader than math. And, and so when I began in 2015, we were we were simply focused on middle school and high school mathematics, and and that had been the business for for 20 plus years. And as you said, it it started at Carnegie Mellon University. It started as a research project between the uh, School of uh, Cognitive Science, the School of Psychology, and the Computer Science Department, all led by you know John Anderson, who was really the force behind the research that created. Um, what was called cognitive tutor at the time. And, uh, you know, it's, that was very early in, in ed tech days before there were computers, uh, in, in classrooms and, and, you know, in schools, they were very, you know, they weren't prevalent, uh, at all. So they were way, way, way before their time, but, uh, they had some success rolling it out as a research project at, uh, within the Pittsburgh public school system. And, um, got a lot of interest in what they were doing from districts across the country. And Carnegie Mellon University is a, a very commercial university and, and knows a lot about uh, tech transfer and, uh, and monetizing intellectual property. And that's exactly what they did with Carnegie Learning uh, and created a, a company from it. 
So we've we've evolved quite a bit. So first, we first started out as a technology company. We moved into curriculum, and then we also moved into services. So those are really the three legs of our business today. Um, but now we're broadening the business uh, beyond math, um, but also also expanding within math as well. So one of the most exciting things that's happening at the company is the launch of our K five math product which is going to be a blended learning product, much like our, our existing 612 product line. So we're incredibly excited about this. This company has always wanted to do a K5 math product. And so I'm, I'm incredibly excited. The product's amazing. It'll launch uh, officially a, uh, at the beginning of uh, September, but we're already, uh, we're already getting a lot of interest in it. So that's, that's the main thing. We've expanded beyond 612 math into K5. But we've also expanded into literacy as well as as world languages as well. And uh, we're putting a lot of effort into uh, improving, reinventing and uh, and wrapping technology around those those subjects um, as well. So we're, we're super excited. We've got a new core 612 product coming to market and uh, and lots of exciting things happening in the in the world languages space as well. Very, very cool. So so let's let's dive deep, though, in the math strand itself. Um, because one of the interesting things that, that you all say is you don't just teach people the what of subjects like math, but you really focus on the why behind it, right? And, and so I'd love, I can guess what that might mean, but I'd love to hear it from you. Like, what does that really mean? And how does that work in a digital learning solution? I, I, like, I think when people think digital learning, they think like procedures and computations, but not why. That, that sounds like something you'd get out of a humanities course. So how, how, how are you all doing that? Yeah, look, the, the, whole, the whole point of what we do is to strengthen the conceptual understanding of mathematics. We are, we are not a procedural math company. We really believe that students must, must internalize and understand why they're doing the math, what its proper application is, and when and how to use it most effectively. And, and if you're just teaching you know, multiplication tables and, and memorization and, and manipulating equations, you're not teaching anybody the application of that mathematics. And so that's, that's really what we try to do. We, we center a lot of our problems around word problems. And um, I know some students find that uh, more challenging, but uh, at the end of the day, it produces students who understand much, much more about the mathematics and, and how to apply it in, in the real world. Um, it's, you know, if you were, if you were a, uh, if you were a, uh, engineer at, at SpaceX and you were trying to, uh, you know, figure out, uh, um, you know, the aerodynamics of a rocket, a, an equation is not suddenly going to appear uh, for you to solve that problem. You're going to have to figure out what it is you're solving, uh, the purpose of, uh, of, of the math that's necessary to solve that problem, and then and, then, and only then um, do the equation. So this is what we do. This is how we teach. And we believe it's by far the most effective way of instruction. So I, I want to dig in this a little bit more and understand it better because as you know, there's been this big reckoning over the last few years around the science of reading, right? And uh, for folks tuning in, right, like the importance that you actually have to teach the mechanics of how to read and not just sort of guess based on the pictures near you and so forth. We haven't seen that, I don't think, in math per se. Like we've seen commissions come along and so forth. Um, but it does seem to me, if I look at it from a high level, that there are some food fights or fractures, if you will, in the world of math, right? Like I, crassly, I'd say on the one hand, you've got folks talking about the importance of learning procedures, right? Like getting auto to automaticity through like, yeah, you got to memorize your times tables, right? Um, 
so that you'll be able to do the higher order math. And then I think on the other hand, you have the conceptual folks that that talk less about the importance of getting the right answer and more understanding the why behind the answer. You know, sort of what are the mechanisms, in other words. And, and I'm just sort of curious, in your answer, it sounds like you're saying both have wisdom, but I'd love to know how you think about the split and and like fundamentally, what's the country getting right and wrong right now yeah. <laughs> about yeah. math instruction? So you said you said something that uh, was interesting. You said um, that in the conceptual framework of mathematics, you care less about what the answer is. And I think that's a I think that's a misconception. We we want to get to the right answer. We just don't believe there's a singular path to achieving that answer. Every every problem in life has has a number of solution sets. It doesn't matter if it's math or, or any subject uh, or domain. And so we there is a right answer here, but we want students to be able to um, to prove it out in their own way. It do, it doesn't mean there's a unlimited pathways. We we obviously need to instruct the student in in the most efficient uh, the most efficient method, but um, by by having them stress. Uh, by, by stressing the, the 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 conceptual framework and and the ability for a student to take their own path, it's only there that we can actually understand where their struggles are and where their misconceptions are. If they're just memorizing math problems and manipulating equations, we we can't see the work. And if we can't see the work, we can't really diagnose the the specific skills that they're struggling with. That is super interesting. So so in other words. It, it sounds like, yes, I'm doing the procedures, but I want to see your actual work behind it to see the pathways because it may turn out that when I start to, you know, do the quadratic equation, you realize Michael actually has a more fundamental problem on understanding, you know, uh, exponents or mul multiplication or, or whatever it might be. I don't know, factoring. And so you you using that would say okay like we actually got to go there and and maybe it's not a procedural thing it's like a conceptual michael doesn't understand that this is in fact a question of division is is that sort of how you're thinking about it that's exactly right and it um um you know what's interesting is our our textbooks as well as our software uh, utilize the same principles. So even though it's a digital solution the digital solution is 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 unpacking the specific skills that students are struggling with. And so within any math problem that we're providing within our Mathia software, we could be analyzing between, anywhere between five and 25 different skills in a single math problem. And, and when we're, and we're, we're really looking at those discrete uh, capabilities of the student to understand where their, where their struggles are. So it can, it works in our, it works in our, our print, in our eBooks, as well as our, as well as our software. It's fascinating. So this actually, I think, hits at another tension we see right now in the math. It's not the reading. It's not like the reading wars, right? We don't have the math wars, but I think there's some tensions brewing. And one of them seems to be acceleration versus remediation, right? Like you're going to fix the thing that the kid is struggling with versus like, we're going to push you through, but we'll, we'll sort of loop in, right, to build the skill up that maybe is deficient in the service of that higher order thing. I think those are the crass categories, if you will. Um, how do you think about that question? I, I have a guess based on what you just said, but um, I'm sort of curious, like philosophically, how you think about the importance of personalizing learning in a subject that's more cumulative, maybe than any other subject that's out there. This is a this is a hot button uh, of of this organization as well as myself personally. So, what's happening in math education uh, really? 
way too often is that students are, are, are being placed in below grade level content because they are struggling with some component of on grade level material. And unfortunately, when you, when you take a student and you put them two, three grade levels behind, it could be a life sentence for, for being behind in mathematics for, you know, like I said, forever. And so what we try to do is we try to, we try to remediate the specific skills that they're, they're struggling with. And every student, whether they're in an accelerated class or, or intervention course, um, you know, they obviously need, you know, they need remediation, but they don't necessarily need to be put, you know, in, in, in a single or, or multiple grade levels below where they, where they need to be. And so we think of it as a highway and, and the student can get off the highway for a moment or go on a rest stop, but they're getting back on that highway. Most other companies through remediation intervention, they're, they're taking them off the highway and they're putting them on a completely different road. We don't believe that's necessary. We think with the power of our curriculum and the power of our software that we can, we can see specifically where they're struggling. And, and maintain their trajectory on, on, the, uh, on the road, on the on-course level material. It's super interesting. It, tell me if, like, this is my aha, I think, from hearing you say that, and, and tell me if I have this right. It sounds like to me, basically, you're saying when we personalize along the categories of, like, on grade level or off, or, like, fourth grade math versus sixth grade, it's too blunt an instrument, right? Like, we're, we, we, are, we are tracking people in things that are hard to escape, whereas when we're personalizing at sort of the atomic level, right, of like the specific misconception, then we're being much more precise. We allow for a lot more fluidity. Frankly, like once you remediate maybe that one thing I didn't understand from like three years ago, exactly. I might start soaring now because now like everything comes yeah. to, comes together. Is, is that the right way to think about it? Absolutely. 100%. Every single student needs remediation at one point or another. The difference is... We are, we are keeping them on grade level. We're not sending them, you know, down a grade or two. We, that's our whole objective. That's our North Star. Keep them on grade level, remediate them where and when it's necessary, but keep them on task. That's awesome. All right. So last topic as we've, as we finish up, cause you all hit on a bunch of the hot button issues in, in education. And the last one right now is artificial intelligence. It's everywhere, right? Chat, chat GPT and, and sort of, is it the end of English and all these questions and, and, and math faculty being like, now you have a calculator, right? And all this stuff. So I said it up front, Carnegie Learning was, at least as far as I know, perhaps the first solution out on the market with an AI-driven uh, solution. So not the first in research, but like really out in the market. There's obviously so much hype, excitement, worries right around this stuff right now. How do you, and it can be beyond your product, right? Like, how do you think about the use of AI in education? Like, where is it going to make an impact? Where is it overhyped? And, and sort of, I mean, you probably have a level of nuance that we don't. So what are we missing? What's the media and the conversation missing yeah. about this story? Yeah, well, look, things are changing so rapidly with chat GPT and uh, it, it's hard to know exactly where it's going to go. I'm not, a, I'm not a fortune teller or Nostradamus, so I don't know exactly. But uh, look, the, the, real, um, the real challenge of, of teaching in the classroom is being able to differentiate between all the students and all their different needs because they're all at different places without question, right? And so the power of artificial intelligence is the ability to kind of give those teachers some additional leverage to help all of these different students who are at 
many different places. It's what our, our Mathia software does. What was it's what it was built for, and it's it's really what what makes it so special. Um, it's a competency based framework. Everybody goes through it at their own pace, and um, it, it provides that differentiation to to really help again scale the teacher's uh, ability. So I, I think I think. AI is an incredible tool. It's obviously um, in its infancy, but the power of it and, you know, GBT and AI is really around the ability to personalize instruction for, for, stu- for every student. And that's the, that is the holy grail of education, to be able to meet every student where they are at any moment. And so I'm, I'm very, uh, very excited about the recent developments. It, it's going to keep us on our toes. We have to continue to reinvent ourselves and continually, continuously improve our products. But um, I couldn't be more excited about, about where things are headed. Let me stay on that one bit. And yeah. this is my observation. You didn't put me up to it, but I think it's a chance for you all to toot your own horn. Okay. Uh, no pun intended. But as I look at it, one of the things that I've sort of concluded about AI before the chat GPT stuff came out was that in and of itself, like it's not going to deduce causality of what things you've got right or wrong, like in its own sort of big abstract model. It is best used when it's built on a rigorous curriculum with good assessments that are giving good indicate, like good data into the model and sort of it has a theory of learning. And, and when I look at you all, again, you're developed out of Carnegie Mellon. There's a clear theory of like how math concepts connect with each other the importance of understanding the why behind them, how you build that up, like all that is there. And then the AI sort of turbocharges it within a model, it it seems to me, as opposed to like, I mean, we're seeing this right now, right? With Bing and Google getting all sorts of things wrong in the world, (laughs) which is okay when you're doing a search, less okay when you're instructing someone. It, It seems to me it's the two together though, like rigorous theory-led curriculum with the AI, that's like the magic sauce. Do, do you agree with that? Is that too simple? I, I do agree with it. And this this company is unique in that we have a large research staff. We are, we are undoubtedly the most researched education technology company on the planet. There's been more independent, truly independent, not like, not like, you know, casual research and, and, uh, case studies, but truly independent research that's been done on our products and services. And it's proven that the approach that we take is, 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 is sound. It works and works well, but it's, it's, so it's a, it's really a combination of the pedagogy and the technology that work, that works so well together. Um, so I think, uh, we're in a unique place, uh, as a company, I think we have the ability to, um, to really make huge gains in outcomes. There is, going to be a flight to quality uh, within the within the K-12 school systems. All of these products and services, whether it's supplemental or core, that have been sold into the market for way too long have not had any discernible impact on, on student learning. Just look at look at the look at the numbers. And so I really think that districts are going to focus more on research driven products that they can trust, that they can get a um, a quantifiable return on investment. And, and that's why I think this is our this is our moment. This company has always been way ahead of its time. Today, we are exactly where it needs to be to make a huge impact on, on students across the country. Well, here's to the impact. And, and Barry, thanks so much for joining us. I, I, I really appreciate uh, you sharing the stories and, 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 and the work that you're doing. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, you bet. And for all of those listening, 
We'll be back next time on the Future of Education. Mm-hmm.